Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is Reverend George Acevedo, lead pastor of the multi-site Grace Church with their main campus located in Cape Coral, Florida. For many of us, sermon preparation and writing is a solo activity, but for Pastor George and his team of campus pastors, it's a group activity. Pastor George joins us today to talk about their unique process of preparing sermons as a team. Well, my guest today is Reverend George Acevedo. He's the lead pastor at Grace Church, a five-campus church with the main campus in Cape Coral, Florida. George, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. It's good to be with you, Dan. Awesome. Well, will you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as your ministry and its context? Sure. I am a first-generation follower of Jesus, Um, was not raised in a Christian home, became a follower of Jesus through a high school campus ministry. Uh, where there was a full-time area director uh, that worked on our high school campus. His, his uh, congregation were uh, unchurched high school students, and um, uh, he led me to Christ in a, in a small group. A few months later, he ended up becoming our youth pastor uh, or the youth pastor at a local United Methodist church, and it was there that I uh, sunk in my roots and began to grow and feel a call to ministry and uh, was sent from that church, uh, went to college and seminary, and uh, have been serving now for right about 32 years, I guess, in uh, full-time ministry. Uh, And uh, I've been the last 20 years uh, in my first lead pastor assignment. So this is the only church where I've been a lead pastor. I was a youth, uh, kind of a traditional associate and executive pastor in uh, at three, four-year runs. And then uh, for the last 20 years, I've been here uh, at, uh, at Grace Church, and um, it was kind of a traditional declining church, and we got busy, uh, focused around a, a very clear vision, and uh, have been b- building strategies for the last 20 years to be faithful to that vision. Uh, haven't always done it right, but uh, um, uh, God always, uh, you know, the nature of grace is it fills in the gap. And so we've had a we've had a great ministry. Our 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 uh, uh, church uh, lives and dies on a prayer that we pray, Lord, send us the people nobody else wants and sees, and Lord, send us to the people nobody else wants and sees. And so we're a church that really focuses a lot on the poor, um, the addicted, and the marginalized. And um, so several of our campuses are in blighted communities. Uh, the original campus here is in what I would call a blue collar. A working community. Uh, the average income per household right around our church is in the mid-40s, so it's not a very kind of wealthy uh, community by no means. And so um, about 12 years ago, we sensed the leading of the Spirit to go multi-site instead of expanding at one site. We wanted to do that, but we also uh, were kind of led into a strategy where we would adopt declining and closing United Methodist churches and kind of go in there and uh, restart them. Uh, I like telling folks, when you think about multi-site at, at, in our environment, don't think uh, Andy Stanley or Adam Hamilton, you know, where they launch with 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 right. people. Yeah. Uh, think of um, Rehab Addict, you know. <laughs> uh, we launch with 50 or, or 60 in a closed or closing church in a, in a community where, where we just get busy and start working there. 
So uh, that, yeah, that's kind of kind of a little bit in the thumbnail, a little bit about us. That's great. And and as we've mentioned, Grace Church is a multi-site church with five locations. And unlike other multi-site churches that have one preacher simulcast to all of the campuses, each campus of your church has its own in-person preacher. And so can you tell us a little bit about how and why you made this decision for your organization? Uh, let me tell you why before I tell you how. The reason why we went to uh, live preaching at each site was um, uh, really was a, 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 there were a couple of reasons. One is we did not have the capacity uh, at the original campus to be able to capture video and utilize it in any significant way. Mm. Um, and there were a couple of things. One of was just the equipment. We just recently went to high definition uh, cameras. Uh, we just did not have the money. We are a working class congregation. Uh, we ended up having to raise, you know, I don't know, forty or fifty thousand dollars outside of the budget. You know, one family gave about half of that, and uh, and another large gift, and then a whole bunch of small gifts to actually get that done. So yeah. until relatively recently, we didn't have the capacity to capture it well, and we didn't want to do it if we couldn't capture it well. A kind of a one B related to that. Is the other thing is that our services at all of our campuses were at the same time. We didn't have a Saturday night service to capture then to use on a Sunday morning at other sites. Mm. So there was that pragmatic. At a more philosophical or theological level, I also wondered, and um, still wonder a little bit, about the nature of kind of an incarnational and indigenous uh, ministry. You know, Jesus... Uh, I love John one fourteen. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson said, uh, "Moved into our neighborhood." And and so uh, there's something about uh, I think a, a pastoral shepherding ministry, teaching ministry that is incarnational and indigenous. Um, um, we're not going to the you know high rent districts um, doing a highly uh, attractional model. Um, we're kind of a blend between attractional and missional. And so it just doesn't fit kind of our mission and our vision. doesn't mean we would never do it. We're toying with it now that we do have a Saturday night service that we could capture and use in other environments. We, we might do that in uh, some other midweek kind of environments or even on some weekends or even, you know, we're open to another site sure. where it might all be driven by video. But at this point, sure. we're holding it loosely. At this point, we do live preaching uh, at, at each site. And because there is a live preacher, there is the possibility that each of them could be doing their own thing. But of course, you all have chosen to work from the same scripture and the same series and sets of key ideas. And so in order to coordinate this message, while still allowing each preacher to have their own unique voice and contribution, you all have developed a, a really unique process for preparing sermons as a team. Can you share with us sort of the overarching primary advantages that you found as you've developed and worked through the process? Sure. The, the process is, uh, is, is fairly simple. I mean, what we had to challenge it is um, kind of a, a, an unspoken mantra of preachers and churches. And it's what I would call the myth of the super preacher, mm. that we're going to build uh, our ministry on the heroics of a dynamic communicator who's going to draw them in. And there was a day in in Christendom, when heroic solo leader, dynamic super preacher, 
uh, could draw them in. It was kind of a build it and they will come kind of perspective. Yeah. And please hear me. I believe in the importance of carefully crafted. I'm not trying to minimize uh, preaching. Um, I have friends who are judicatories in our denomination as well as in other denominations. And they tell me that whenever a church is needing a pastor, you know, it, either one or two at the list is we want a good preacher. Right. Um, so people still count on good preaching. But the, the, what, what we began to question is not the importance of good preaching, of excellent preaching, that is biblical and practical and simple, not simplistic, but simple, mm-hmm. is that, uh, that, that there's a fundamental premise that I don't think had been challenged. And that's that sermon preparation had to be done by uh, one preacher who, kind of like Moses, you know, goes up to the mountains, hears <laughs> yeah. from God, gets the tablets, comes down and delivers it to the, you know, to the awaiting masses. And uh, so you'd hear things like, I, I remember in seminary hearing things like, if there's no sweat in the study, there'll be no fire in the pulpit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I, I'm not minimizing preparation. What I'm challenging is that it has to be done alone. So our fundamental premise is that even the ministry of preaching and teaching can be done in teams. And what we see is that there's significantly uh, some greater advantages to that. There's significantly more input. Um, There's a diversity of life experiences and perspectives. Preaching done on a team increases accountability, and it minimizes what we call the possibilities for what we preachers lovingly call Saturday night specials, (laughs) you know, where you stay up all night working on it. Yeah. it also, uh, from a very pragmatic, it frees huge amounts of time that can be given to other leadership tasks or even rest. Sometimes the problem is preachers are working too much. Yeah. The other advantage we see is that there's an exponential improvement in the preaching uh, of the younger preachers or the less experienced preachers. And then a very pragmatic uh, advantage is that there's a sharing of, uh, in this case, in our environment, media and graphics, other resources message notes, uh, videos, bumper videos. Sometimes we do giveaways, you know, where we might be giving away a prayer card or, a, or a, there might be a prop that's being used. Um, and, and so there's this kind of um, economy of scale that happens uh, in the midst of all of that. So we see those as being huge advantages uh, to team, uh, not just team teaching. A lot of churches do team teaching, but the preacher still goes away to their corner, to their mountain, to go hear a word from God and coming down. We don't do that. So what we've done at Grace Church is we've built a teaching team. It's made up of 13 people. Uh, They're primarily, we have uh, nine pastors related to this church uh, that are, uh, eight of them are under appointment. One is a retired pastor. And then we have um, uh, three pastors, ironically with technology, two of them are from Oklahoma and they, (laughs) Uh, we have a room with a big TV and a camera in it. That's cool. And they uh, they uh, uh, kind of uh, go to meeting with us on that. And then uh, we have a layperson in our church who is uh, leads a service at a nursing home where he takes our message and translates it uh, into that context. And then we would add to that a bench of about five or six other fill-in preachers because, again, our multi-sites are not are not uh, hundreds and thousands of people. They're dozens and hundreds of people. Right. So we have some, what we call apprentice communicators, some men and women who are, you know, like some young youth pastors that were kind of apprenticing for the um, larger platform 
and some uh, middle-aged uh, and older folks that are considering second career ministry. And we might use them in some of our smaller environments, invite them in the teaching team. So we've developed this teaching team. We have a covenant that we all agree to live into. It has to do with how we're going to live together. And we uh, actually review that uh, every week when we meet. Uh, and I can, would you like for me to get into some of the technicalities of what we do? Sure, we'll, we'll get into that in a, in a second. I want to maybe start with the question of how did you choose, was the size of the team based on who you wanted to be a part of it, or did you discover that there was a number that was maybe too small or a size that has gotten unwieldy? We're, we're, right, about the un, we're right about the end edge of the unwieldy. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's an interesting thing. You know, I've done some research around... Uh, pastors and adrenaline and depression and those kinds of things. And um, Mondays is the absolute worst day for clergy. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with uh, kind of an adrenaline high. Dr. Archibald Hart has written a lot about that. And about how your body is actually detoxing from adrenaline. Mm. It takes a lot of adrenaline to preach. And uh, he suggested uh, for every hour, every service that you preach, uh, take six to eight hours to come down. So wow. this weekend yeah. I preached uh, four times. Uh, once on Saturday and three on Sunday. So, you know, six to eight hours, you know, t- 24 to what, 32, something like that hours. Well, on Monday morning is when we actually do this. <laughs> we do it Monday morning at 8.30. And let me just tell you, it is the most energizing two hours of, everybody on our team would agree with this, the, the most amazing two hours of our week. That's great. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it kind of, it's kind of a mix between a big rally a great seminary class and uh, just a, a, a wonderful small group. Um, so we, you know, when you have twelve or thirteen people in the room working on the working on it together, uh, it creates this um, dynamism. Uh, you know the Stephen Covey uh, mantra that one plus one isn't two; it's a hundred. Yeah, I think it it fits in keeping theologically with Jesus saying where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. So that there's this multiplier that happens when we get in the room, and it, it just, it, it, it makes it a, it, that's when the magic happens. And I, I, what, I would, what I would say for us is that we, uh, we were building the bridge while we were walking on it. I'd love to tell you we set off this strategic meeting and we, uh, you know, came back and said, the magic number is 13. <laughs> sure. Uh, it didn't happen that way. Uh, it's kind of morphed and developed. Uh, we've just continually gotten better. I do remember, I don't remember how many years ago it was, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, it was as we were starting to add a third and a fourth campus that I, be, I began to think there's an economy of scale that needs to happen. And uh, we were kind of each going to our own corners with the same theme, but we weren't sharing a lot or doing a lot. So we developed the teaching team really out of a kind of necessity and a high degree of experimentation. And uh, what we would say now is that none of us would ever go back to, you know, locking ourselves away in a room by ourselves. That's great. And we'll start with it with this idea of how do you plan out the full calendar? So you're you're, you know, sitting down with your team, uh, you all go away a couple times a year. Will you talk to us about this process of the high level planning, the arc of the year and how you plan out what series and scriptures you're going to address? Absolutely. So uh, we want to try to get in front of this stuff. So there's a little pre-work that comes before this big what we call all day teaching team retreat. Uh, and the pre-work is 
that each of the campus pastors and leaders are charged with going to their constituency, their campus, their ministry area, and polling their people as to what are the kinds of uh, messages that we that that that, that they're uh, desiring to hear. Um, what are the issues of their life that they're wanting to get God's perspective from Scripture on? And um, so uh, at uh, the most recent um, season of doing that in preparation for our teaching retreat, uh, we had three-by-five cards stuck in the, in the chair. We have chairs, not, not a pews, in the chairs, uh, in the little pocket there. And we asked people to pull it out and write, you know, topics. And we probably got, you know, uh, I would imagine at this campus, which is the largest campus where on the weekend services we might have fifteen or sixteen hundred people, you know we probably got about um, seventy or eighty responses back. There were a lot of duplicates. Um, I would tell you that there are some that we already know are going to come up every every time right so, uh, relationships is always going to be a right at the top of the list uh, interestingly enough, the end times in the book of Revelation is asked <laughs> for every single time yeah uh, it's a very interesting thing so um, we come into what we call our, our our biannual teaching retreat, we come into it with some fodder already. And we have to sift through it and discern, but it does give us talking points, if you will. Um, so the way it works is we plan our sermons from January to June, and then from July to December in those two six-month blocks. Uh, so in October or November, uh, we've already finished our for, for uh, this coming year, we're done January. We actually got all the way through July. Wow. Uh, it was just, we, had, we wanted to extend our June series into July. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we planned the January to July uh, 2017 series. And so we gathered together all day with a big whiteboard, uh, a laptop connected to a big screen TV so that we can search the internet. Uh, we uh, uh, very simply um, have a blank calendar with all the weekends and all of the holidays and uh, both uh, religious and uh, uh, school and and community, uh, you know, governmental holidays, weekends, kids are out of school, you know, just try to get as much calendar information. But we also want, of course, you know, Lent and uh, Ash Wednesday and, right. and Easter Sunday and Palm Sunday and Pentecost. Um, and so we get all of that stuff up and on the uh, on the calendar, uh, and ironically, the first thing we try to do is look at the blocks. We've got a commitment, Dan, that um, you, you might find interesting. We're committed to what we call turbocharging the Christian calendar. <laughs> so there are three seasons that uh, we celebrate at Grace Church uh, every year, and that's Advent, Lent, and Pentecost. Yeah, we feel like. Uh, the church, uh, we agree with Francis Chan that the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God in much of Christendom, Christianity. And so we seek to, um, uh, we seek to celebrate and somehow either focus on the, the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit at work through the church and what that looks like um, and what that means for our life. So we turbocharge those. So we're going to block out when, when we're doing the June, or I mean, I'm sorry, the January to June calendar. Uh, in that calendar, we're going to block out uh, the seven, the, the six weeks of Lent and Easter, and we'll block out the, you know, the Pentecost. We, Pentecost, we might go four weeks or five weeks or three weeks. Interesting, this year, 
We're going to go eight weeks in Pentecost. We're oh, wow. Do, uh, or nine. We're going to do nine weeks at Pentecost this year. Uh, we're going to do a big series in June and July on the, on the church. And we've, we're entitling it The Exciting Church. Um, so uh, once we've blocked off the space, we, we have a couple of things that we also need to put in there. We do an annual global missions conference where we bring in our, our, our mission partners. So we have to block that out. And then we begin to say, okay, we could do a, you know, a six-week series here or two three-week series. Sometimes we have standalones. Uh, this year, for example, uh, January 1st is on a Sunday. And uh, coming out of our tradition, Dan, we're going to do uh, the Wesley Covenant service. We'll, we'll turbocharge it. We'll make it uh, fresh. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and, uh, but we're going to do that on January 1st with communion, and we'll you know, probably print up the prayer and send it home with folks and invite people to pray that you know, uh, for the first several months of the year, you know, as a part of their life. So uh, we get all of those things and then we just start hammering away at it and go, so what's the spirit saying? And, um, and because you've got a dozen people in the room, uh, we tend to settle pretty quickly on, uh, on little blocks of sermon series. And um, we try to balance between what we would call topical and expositional preaching mm-hmm. Uh, one of the cool things uh, we're doing this year for Lent is we're going to focus on the Philippians chapter 2 on what's called the kenosis hymn, uh, the emptying hymn, where, you know, uh, have this attitude, this mindset that was in Christ Jesus. Uh, and then we're going to address, we're going to walk through the kenosis hymn for six weeks, uh, ending with on Easter with uh, at, at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess a kind of this benedictory doxological preaching uh, moment uh, there at the end of the Kenosis hymn. And so we're going to kind of live self-emptying is, has a lot to do with uh, what are you going to give up? You know, Jesus gave up uh, his, his godness, if you will, to move into our neighborhood. So we're going to live in one pericope, just a handful of verses, six, seven, eight verses for seven weeks. We've done that several times. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's been very, very rich to, to go deep on a few verses. We've done whole books of the Bible, Jonah, and uh, big stories in the Bible, the life of Jacob or the life of David. And then we do some topical stuff. You know, we'll, we might deal with a, uh, an issue around communication and, and marriage or, uh, you know, our relationships and communication, marriage, and those kinds of deals. So we fill in the gaps and uh, we try to have, by the end of the day, the text and the theme for all 26 weeks, the first half of the year, yeah. or the last half of the year. Um, so that's all buttoned up for the most part. Uh, there may be a little research that needs to be done on sure. something, but for the most part, all of that's buttoned up. And we do that um, from about um, 10 to about 5, and we get it all done. That's, that's awesome. That's, qu- that's quite a lot of work for, for one, one day. Yeah. And, and it's, beca- again, it's, there's this energizing deal. I, I think this week, uh, this last uh, one that we did just a few weeks ago, uh, we were done by three o'clock in the afternoon. That's amazing. And, and I'm sure some of our listeners are sitting there and they have had days where they've maybe blocked out an entire week and sat in a library or sat in their office or sat in a coffee shop and just were banging their head on a table trying to figure out what to preach. But not only do you get it done in a day, but you all leave the room feeling really energized and almost ready to, to preach those things immediately. Yeah, what I would say, Dan, because remember, I've been here 20 years. And so for the first 10 years, 
I did all this stuff by myself. I was the guy banging his head up against the wall saying, Jesus, please give me a word, you know? And, and so I get it. I've lived the pain mm. in the same church, 10 years for the most part, doing it by myself. And then for the last 10 years in a, what I would call an ever increasing bandwidth, uh, doing it as a team. And I will promise you, I'm 56 years old. I will never go back. I will never go back to doing it by myself. Never. All right. Well, now let's break it down into the timeline of an individual sermon. How do you all start that process? Does it uh, begin on the Monday of the coming Sunday, or do you all work a couple weeks ahead in your group? Can you talk us through the formulation of an individual sermon? We, when we first started, uh, we would we would uh, be working on Monday on the sermon that we were going to preach the next weekend. We've since backed that up another week, and we really like it. It gives a lot more space for thoughtfulness and that sort of deal. So we're two weeks out. So uh, we met on Monday. Uh, today's Tuesday. We met yesterday. Or not the sermon this coming weekend, but the weekend following. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our covenant, uh, we've written that everybody will do 30 minutes of preparation before they get to the table on Monday morning at 830. Uh, and, uh, and our team is really good at living into that. So that means, you know, online commentaries, you know, uh, it means doing some research. It means putting down maybe some creative elements. And so everybody kind of has their, their deal, but we, uh, we all come to the table knowing what the text is. And, um, and so we're not starting with a blank page because we've already done the retreat where we, where we have theme and, tie, and text, and so they come into it with a little work. And because it's in our covenant, uh, we hold each other accountable to it. It's a written covenant that's specific, and um, uh, it, it really helps us. So uh, we have a big whiteboard, and uh, uh, we brain dump. We just pretty much brain dump. Our team was privileged enough several years ago to go to a conference at uh, Bandai Church at, uh, for the Real Ideas Conference, and um, we were there with Ken Davis, uh, the remarkable communicator. He's known as a comedian, but he, his, a lot of his work has been around uh, communication, particularly for Christians and sermons. And he, he suggested that every sermon needs to have an aim and, um, and that uh, we needed to have what he calls a big idea. And that big idea is really the target, the bullseye. And uh, that has really helped us. And so we'll often start with, okay, what's our bullseye? What are we aiming at? And uh, if it's a sermon for, uh, for Christ followers, for people who've already uh, begun a relationship with Christ, it might, our, our aim might be every Christ follower who comes to Grace Church can enjoy a, uh, a life abiding in Christ by... And then those might be the points of the sermon, two or three things, you know, yeah. uh, living richly in community, uh, uh, learning to abide and allowing God to prune them. And I'm using the John 15 text uh, just off the top of my head. So uh, that gives us an aim. Sometimes we write that after we get it done because the, the, it, it, there's no rhyme or reason. During this brain dump, somebody will say, well, let's, let's, let's go for it. Let's, let's go for the aim first. And so we'll write down the big idea. Uh, that will change throughout the throughout the morning, but we're 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 writing it out. We're writing stuff on the whiteboard, and all I can tell you, Dan, is 
at the end of an hour, hour and 15 minutes, uh, we've written and erased and written and erased, and we've gotten it down to, you know, uh, we typically have what we call a question uh, and uh, two or three, sometimes four answers to that question. And that becomes the outline for the sermon. Here's the beautiful thing. We have two other people off to the side. And the re- reason we have two people is it gets two different perspectives who, who know how to type very quickly. <laughs> yeah. And they're taking notes with what everybody says. So we basically have a, we basically have a, 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 a manuscript of everything that was said. And uh, there'll be sermon ideas in there. There'll be video clip ideas. There'll be music ideas. There'll be illustration ideas. There'll be commentaries. There'll be quotes that'll get, you know, somebody will give a quote and we'll say, okay, send that over to these two and they'll embed it. Uh, And that will mean something here in just a minute. But at the end of an hour and 45 minutes to two hours, we have what we call our message notes. And our message notes is this question and the two to three to four points that are being answered. Sometimes there is not a question. Sometimes it'll be a statement followed by two or three points. We really believe that simple, I mentioned this earlier, simple is not simplistic. Right. Simple is simple. And so we work hard at being simple without being simplistic. And so we'll um, uh, have that. And then what happens is that we've identified there are three of us here at what we call the original campus, the Cape Coral campus, and uh, Wes, Kevin, and myself. And uh, we will then be charged between that Monday and the following Sunday night at midnight to write a manuscript of six to eight pages that kind of fills in the question and all of the, all of the points. We will load it up to a, uh, uh, an online service we use called Basecamp. Uh, and uh, everybody is, who is on our teaching team is a part of Basecamp. And when you load it up, it actually sends it to everybody on the teaching team. So everybody gets that manuscript from the, what we call the first writer. So Wes, Kevin, or myself uh, as the first writer, we load it up by Sunday at midnight. So Monday morning when they get up, the week before, you know, uh, seven days out, right. uh, they have that manuscript in the, on their desktop waiting for them to download it, read it, and then they have between that Monday and Friday at midnight to write their manuscript in their voice. That's the language we use, in your voice. They, in turn, will put it up on Basecamp, and it gets sent to everybody. So what that means for me as the preacher, I preach here at the original campus about 20 times a year. I will, I will have my message, but then on Saturday morning, I can download five or six other people's message in their voice, and I can cherry-pick from their <laughs> messages and pull it into mine yeah. to get that last bit of flavor. So I'm learning from them as well. There might be a quote or a, a way something is said, and I go, ooh, I like that better, uh, and it comes into mind. One of the things uh, people have wondered is, do you lose your voice in all of that? And I would say you, you give up a little to gain a lot. Mm. Give up a little to gain a lot. You, you, there is a sense in which, you know, when you're off there by yourself, Dan, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. You can kind of come down with the deal, uh, with, the, with the tablets. But I, I, I've n- not found it to be so restricting. Matter of fact, I found it to be liberating. Mm. And it allows 
my preaching to get better. You, you know that old saying that the tide rises all the boats in the harbor? Right. Uh, I think that's what happens in this team teaching. Because here's the piece I, I want you to, to know. The younger preachers, and I don't mean that necessarily age, I also mean that by experience. The younger preachers have gotten exponentially better at, at this art of preaching by this using this method. A consequence of this, uh, and it wasn't unintended, it was a very intended consequence, is it also frees anywhere from 10 to 12 hours to 15 hours a week for them to give to other leadership tasks. Right. Or take a day off, quite frankly. Because if I do the heavy lifting as the, as the first writer in terms of writing the manuscript, and, uh, if I, and I give that to you and say, hey, put it in your own voice, make it you, then you can do that significantly in the less time. Now, you've been in the room helping create it, so you've got ownership. It's not like I'm telling you what to do. Right, exactly. You have ownership for this. You helped shape it. You were in the room. You helped shape it. You have ownership. You can take that same message that might have taken you 15 to 20 hours to develop on your own, and by making putting it in your own voice, you can do that in four to five hours. That's what our staff has testified to. And so... In our context, where we have uh, five preaching environments, uh, and if each of those pastors just, say, gets 10 extra hours a week, that's 50 hours of leadership that can be given back to other tasks or, like I said, taking a day off. So um, we think it's rich. We think it's got great possibilities. We would argue that the Trinity lives in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, uh, and somehow the messaging from God seems to be unified. Uh, why couldn't a team of people who follow the triune God do the same thing? Exactly. That's so great. Thank you so much for giving us a window into this process. I think it's so valuable. Do you have any advice maybe for the pastor that isn't a multi-site church but wants to institute a team approach? Uh, what might they be looking for in lay members or maybe even fellow clergy in the area that they can work together with? Here's my, uh, here's my bias, Dan. Uh, I, I'm a United Methodist pastor, and what I know is the people who go to my church uh, don't necessarily know what the other Methodist church down the street or even the other Baptist <laughs> church down the street is preaching on. Right. They know what they're preaching about. So does it hurt if we're all preaching the same message? Because nobody really knows, and frankly, a lot of them don't even care. And so if we can help each other with this art of preaching and doing it better and doing it more, not just effectively, but efficiently, it seems to me that everybody wins, that it's win-win for the kingdom. And so I can't, I'm not only going to tell you how you might do this, I'm going to tell you that we know of other places around America where folks have come and watched what we're doing and gone home and implemented it in a non-multi-site environment, and they're witnessing back to us, their, their testimony back to us is, it's revolutionized their preaching in their local church. There isn't any reason that a pastor who's in a solo site context couldn't invite other pastors in the community, others in their denomination or even outside of their denomination, to work together on the messages. We have a pastor who we brought on our site, on our, on our staff, about, um, about three years ago, who was in Louisville in the inner city in an urban environment, and he invited uh, four, three or four other guys 
who were uh, in the same environment, and they began to do this. And um, his testimony was that it was the richest part of his week. They rotated who the first writer was, and uh, they experienced profound fellowship with each other, and they helped each other get better. And, and they didn't always agree theologically on things. Right. And yet they, could, they found a way to find a robustness and a richness in their diversity of ideas uh, by doing it together. So, yeah, it can happen. Uh, you could even do it in a solo site where you could just invite three or four other people to help you do it. I think you lose something on that by not inviting other pastors to be a part of it. Sure. And and certainly to do that process, we would have to let go of our natural sometimes inclination to view other churches and other preachers as competition. And so this can certainly even maybe revolutionize the relationships you have in that community. Not a question. And again, it, like in our context where we have one campus that's a, a really, really big church, and then the other sites are medium to small to very small campuses. Um, you know, one of our sites has, you know, on Sunday morning has 25 or 30 people in it. It's in a very blighted part of our city. Some would even call it a dangerous part of our city. And, uh, you know, he has a 60-inch TV, two of them, uh, uh, in his little sanctuary, but he's getting the first-rate videos and graphics from this original campus that has 1,600 on the weekends. He's getting that every week. Uh, for his little small flock that he has there. Yeah. And so the excellence goes way up. So if you're in a, you know, if, if you couldn't afford graphics because you're off by yourself, but four of you were clustering together and you each paid, you know, a graphic artist to do your, your, your stuff for you, frankly, you could find some 14 year old who probably do it better than a graphic <laughs> artist uh, who knows how to work a Mac like crazy, you know, uh, you, you could you could pay them, and then you all share the same themes, the same texts, the same videos, and again, all the boats in the harbor rise. That's great. Well, before we let you go, are there any books or resources out there that you would recommend uh, to our audience to check out, either on the topic of preaching or in general? I know that you are an author yourself. Do you have anything that's recently come out or uh, that our uh, audience can look forward to? Uh, last Advent, uh, Abington uh, released a book that I was the lead author on called Scent. Uh, it was an Advent series, and um, it, it came with not just the book uh, that you could use then for the preaching material uh, for those uh, four weeks of, of Advent and, and Christmas Eve. It, it also came with a small group DVD leader's guide, uh, as well as a, a devotional guide that could be used throughout, uh, the, uh, throughout Advent. And then um, it also it also came with uh, uh, children's and youth materials that kind of go along with it. So that can be purchased at Abington. Um, and then this uh, January or February, uh, one of the pastors here and I, uh, he and I here, uh, are, have just re- are just finished the book that will be released by Abington in January, February, called um, A Graceful Life. Uh, and it's about, it's a four-week, um, four-week study on uh, prevenient justifying, sanctifying, and glorifying grace. Uh, and it, it will come with small group videos that we just shot, as well as a leader's guide. So that's getting ready to come out. That's so great. And finally, if our listeners want to follow your work or reach out and say hi, are there any places online where they can do that? Well, we have a, a, our website. Uh, it's 
egracechurch.com, egracechurch.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, just hunt me down and friend me, and, and that, that, that would work there. Uh, I don't write a blog. Uh, I probably should, but uh, I've got other things I'm doing, like being on teaching team. Yeah. Well, George, thank you so much for your time and giving us a window into your process today. We really appreciate it. Sure. Glad to help out. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.